Welcome, ladies and men, gentle or otherwise, to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime presentation of Paul Bearer's Reflections. Now sit back and, no, farther back, a little farther, just a tad farther, good. That feels nice, doesn't it? Now stay there and pay no attention to the tiny people tying you down to that spot as I turn you over to the Brimblebanks brothers themselves, Bentley and Jameson Brimblebanks. You know, it's not your responsibility. I know it's not my responsibility. It's a privilege. And that, well, it's probably perfectly capable of feeding itself. What with the copious amounts of fish and all. I know it can feed itself. I just think it deserves a special treat once in a while. Then there's the widely held belief that it doesn't exist. Don't you start that again. No, I'll be home next week. Yeah, food is as bad as they say. Mommies don't know how to cook a steak for all the steer in Texas. Okay, I'll call you when I get there. Okay. 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 Sounds like everything's okay. Does it? Okay, bye. Hey, you gentlemen mind if I take a seat with you here in this compartment? Well, if you put it that way... Thanks! Turns out the rest of this train is full up. Ain't nowhere else to sit. Do I detect an American accent? Well, shucks, you got a good ear on you, boy! Yes, it's subtle, but I detect it. Where you fellas headed? Up into Scotland. My brother Bentley here takes it upon himself to occasionally bring treats to feed the... Loch Ness Monster. Yes, I've got a suitcase full of mollusks. You know, that was the title of my favorite Cole Porter song. Was it? No. Well, I'm headed out to... You know, that reminds me of a story. Does it, Brother Bentley? Which one? The Paul Bearer's Reflections. It does? Yes, and we shall tell it now. It seemed to Stanley as though it should have been raining, or at the very least, cloudy and overcast. In truth, it was a rather lovely day, which meant it felt like it was a terrible day for a funeral. His lawn needed mowing, his walk needed weeding, but for some reason they had thought to ask for him to be there this day, to fill the role of a pallbearer. He had neither seen nor spoken to Hannah in how many years? Decades, he thought, as he took his place at the left front corner of the casket and lifted. They had been so close as children, though. Someone had remembered this and thought to ask for him. What could he say? And he did remember her fondly. They passed a headstone that someone had left flowers next to recently, an arrangement that included cattails. Not literally the amputated posterior appendages of felines, you sick weirdos, but typha, the cylindrically flowering plants of the family Typhaea, typically found near lakes, rivers, and swamps in the northern hemisphere. Somehow I doubt anyone thought I meant cropped kitty coddle appendages. Well, one can never be too clear. People say that, but I'm not so sure. At any rate, the sight of the floral cattails brought him back to a specific memory with Hannah, back when they were both... He wasn't sure how old, somewhere in that muddy patch of memory that covers most of childhood. The two of them were playing together in the woods near a river, 
the two children running along the banks in one direction while the water flowed in the other. They ran their hands across the cattails growing at the riverbanks as they passed. Hannah stopped suddenly, and Stanley bumped into her from behind. The two of them toppled to the ground together, but uninjured laughed it off. <laughs> Why do you stop like that? Young Stanley asked. I saw a perfect skipping stone. Young Hannah replied as she picked up an especially flat stone in her left hand and threw it, sidearm, toward the surface of the river. It skipped once before falling down underwater. Flops. I can't even do it once. My brother can skip them like a hundred times. No, he can't. Well, like a bunch of times. If you can skip them the whole way across the whole river, you get a wish. Did you make that up? Anna shrugged. Yeah, so what? Somebody has to make this stuff up. Was that how it worked with things like wishes and luck? Did people just make these things up? Stanley had thought it was the kind of thing that was discovered. Or at the very least, if someone got to make up how you get wishes, he was fairly certain they had to be a king, or a wizard or something. Possibly a president. Well, a grown-up, at the very least. What if you got wishes in one of the properly established ways? Like if you freed a genie from a lamp, for instance. Could you wish for the power to make up how to get wishes? Bentley, are you asking me? Yes. I don't think that's germane to the story. Probably too much like wishing for more wishes. Probably too much like getting off topic. Perhaps. Anyway, Hannah was always making things up. Stories to tell him. Adventures for the two of them to have. Secrets of the universe that no one else knew. Stanley was in awe of her imagination, but Hannah thought nothing of it. The pair of them had found an arched wooden bridge over the river and laid on their stomachs with their heads hanging out, looking down at the water. It's fun to make stuff up, I guess. But I'd rather find out everything that's wonderful that's true. What do you mean? Like stuff that's weird but real. Like lizards that can change color. Like a whole city that's carved inside of a mountain. Like, like ghosts. Ghosts aren't real. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Hannah stared down toward her reflection in the river below. She waved hello, and her reflection, at the same time, of course, waved back. Hannah took another stone she had found out of her pocket. It looked to Stanley to be too big and round for skipping, but it would probably be just right for dropping into the water and making a good splooshing sound. Hannah smiled her familiar crooked smile, raised the rock out over the river, and dropped. The rock fell straight down, and from his angle, Stanley watched its reflection flying straight up toward it. The two rocks collided on the surface of the water. Hannah's rock sent water splashing into the air, and ripples spread out from the point of impact, warping and erasing their reflections. Stanley returned to the present, and the task of carrying Hannah's casket. He didn't really know the old woman who had died, but she had been a remarkable friend as a child. We mourn the people we lose suddenly, Stanley thought, but rarely do we do so with the ones who slowly fade away. The lawn and the weeding could wait. He was where he needed to be. Across from Stanley, in the front right position was a younger man. His name was Fred. And unlike Stanley, it had not been long at all since he had last seen Hannah. It had just been a few days ago, on the last day of her life. In the crowd, he spotted Michael, but could not catch his eye. 
Michael's eyes were wide and seemed to be staring off at nothing. It had been like that for days. Before she died, Michael had cried over his mother's illness. But since her death, he had simply seemed shell-shocked. He remembered their final moments together, Fred observing from a chair near the bed, Michael looking forlorn and hovering over his mother. Ginger, the gentle calico cat, was in the bed next to the old woman, and she could just reach it enough to stroke its tail. It's all right, Michael. It's all right. Okay, Ma. Okay. It is. We can still fight this, Ma. Let me get you back to the hospital. I've seen enough of the hospital, Michael. It's my time. I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm just accepting it. It's not so easy for me. I know. But I've had a good life, son. An exciting life. I've seen so much. I've seen so much more than I was ever even supposed to see. I've done so much more than I ever should have been able to do. There's only one thing left to do, Michael. And that's for us to come clean. No more secrets between us. Okay, Mom. So, yeah, I guess. I guess there is something I need to say. Fred and I, we're not just good friends. We're in love. I, I'm gay, Mom. <laughs> Mom, are, are you laughing? Honey, I've known you were gay since the first time I watched you try to throw a baseball. Mom, that's, that's not appropriate. Looked like you were trying to swat a fly with a wet rag. Mom, that's a stereotype. There are professional athletes. Oh, stop, Michael. Anyway, I knew. Well, also, Fred and I are getting married. Oh, no. Michael. Mom, we're in love. He's a good man. Oh, I know. Fred, honey, I know. You're great. I couldn't ask for a better son-in-law. Thanks, Miss... Call me Mom. Thanks, Mom. It's just that you're both so young. We're not young. I'm nearly 40. Michael's a few years older than me. <laughs> and you don't think that's young? You have so much to see still. So much to experience. Maybe we want to experience a love that grows. That grows over a long period of time. That's worth experiencing, too. See? You never stop learning. You feel that way too, Fred? I do, Mom. Well, okay then. But when I said no more secrets, I meant me. I... <coughs> I have to tell you something. I have to finally tell you the truth. <coughs> Lean close. Fred watched as his fiancée leaned in close to the woman who would never quite be his mother-in-law. He wasn't trying to listen in. Not really. Haven't you always felt a little... But he couldn't help but make out a few little snippets. Still, the mother you've always known. Michael's brow furled in confusion at first, and then slowly widened to a sort of stunned shock. Fred had only known Hannah for a couple of years, 
She had been an old woman all that time, but there had been a childlike playfulness about her all along, a fire in her eyes that suggested a wildness within. Suddenly, he saw that fire go out. Hannah held Michael's hand tightly for a moment, and then her hand dropped to her side. Startled, the cat lifted its head quickly and then jumped away. But Michael's expression did not change, and had barely changed since. He was distant, confused. He'd spend hours looking at himself in the mirror. There was so much about her I, I didn't know. Was all he would say on the matter. Nobody move. Give your full attention to this commercial break. Generations of children have been delighted and inspired by the skills and adventures of Mr. McFeely of McFeely's Speedy Delivery Service. Whether delivering a goat to Fred Rogers, a royal decree from King Friday, or soap for Lady Elaine Fairchild's soap operas, Mr. McFeely was always fast and friendly. It is as Fred Rogers once said, Mr. McFeely, you are very special. There is only one of you in the world. How true. And yet that hasn't stopped countless children and adults from trying to be just as special and admired as Mr. McFeely by wearing his clothes. As everyone knows, each of Mr. McFeely's wool suits were hand-woven by tailor Nino Petrocelli in the small town of Bridgeville, Pennsylvania, and those dying to sport an identical suit wait outside his store, sometimes for weeks to be measured. Hey, leave me alone! I'm so tired of making so many perfect, handmade, speedy blue suits! Why does everybody gotta be speedy delivery man? For decades, the question remained, what good is a perfect, speedy delivery suit without the matching, perfect, speedy delivery hat? I keep telling everybody! I don't make the speedy hats, just the speedy suits. Sailor hats, postal hats, policeman hats, gutted penguins dyed blue. None of them came close to the magic of the speedy delivery cat. Unfortunately, the original block used to make the one-of-a-kind speedy delivery hat mysteriously disappeared in the 1980s, ensuring that no one else would ever look quite as special as Mr. McFeely. Until now. That's right. We here at Fairchild Hattery have reverse-engineered the McFeely speedy delivery hat using modern technology only just discovered and we combine it with the care and craft of ages past. Our lambskin sweatband conforms to your head for years of supple comfort. The bill of the hat is hand-carved obsidian for an authentic appearance forged in fire. And Fairchild Hattery uses the finest genuine purple panda felt taken only from the underbelly of a purple panda to avoid inconsistencies or the need for powders and dyes. The rest of each purple panda pelt is sold to lesser hatteries to make their subpar factory-produced speedy delivery hats. Order your Mr. McFeely speedy delivery hat today. Allow six to eight weeks for delivery. Uh, months. And coming soon from Fairchild Hattery, Feel like a real writer with George R. R. Martin's authentically replicated sweat-stained Greek fisherman's hat.
inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic story time presentation of no weddings and one funeral. Walking behind the old man Stanley was Larissa, a woman in her late 60s with long hair that had not yet completely lost the fight to retain some of its color. As she carried the casket, she looked around at the graves around them, at the letters etched deeply into hard stone, and her mind carried her back to when she and Hannah had been much younger, in a time and place far away. I don't know, I don't Hannah. I'm starting to wonder again if we should even be here. Twenty-something, Larissa had said as they passed intricate hieroglyphics etched deep into the hard stone in the catacombs within the pyramid. Well, we shouldn't be here. Legally speaking. Hannah responded. But we're not going to do anything wrong, really. We're not going to disturb any bodies or anything. We're really not going to, right? Probably not. The ladies turned a corner and found themselves at a dead end. Larissa watched as Hannah squinted and tapped her foot in frustration while she studied the hieroglyphics on the wall in front of her. She reached forward and traced her finger along the tail of a carving of a tiger. There was a low rumble and the wall slid aside. On the other side of the new opening, a wide hallway stretched in both directions as far as they could see before receding into shadow. Along the middle of the hallway, a dark, still river some twenty feet across. There was a walkway along both sides of the river about three feet wide. Statues of cat people, bird people, sphinx and more lined the walls. Directly across from them, on the other side of the river, a closed door. There. There. That's what we're looking for. Well, I guess we're gonna have to swim to it. Not so fast. Hannah put her arm out and stopped Larissa from taking another step close to the river. Hannah untied her neckerchief and dipped one end into the river. As she pulled it out, the tip had disintegrated and was black and smoking. What is this? I don't know, but it's not water. Well, I don't see any other way across. Hannah picked up the nearby statue of a woman wearing a headdress. Sorry, Nephthys. She said before smashing it to the ground. I thought you said we weren't going to disturb anything. No, I said we were probably not going to disturb any dead bodies. She looked through the shattered pieces of the statue before selecting a small piece of broken rock. Hannah approached the edge of the Black River and threw the stone sidearm toward its surface. The stone skipped and then skipped again. Skipped, skipped, skipped. Make a wish. Skipped all the way across the river and into the open mouth of a jackal statue near the door. The ladies could hear the sound of an invisible mechanism and the door dropped down to the floor and extended itself out toward them, farther and farther until it formed a bridge over the acidic river. Hannah turned to Larissa and smiled a crooked smile. Come on. Come on. Hannah quickly stepped onto the stone bridge and began to cross. Larissa, hesitating, watched from the shore, nervous about the mysterious black liquid on all sides. She paced back and forth as she watched Hannah cross. From the side, she could see her friend and a perfect reflection in the still water below, both walking farther away from her. Satisfied that the bridge was safe, Larissa followed. Hannah had not waited for her to cross, and so was already inside the room on the other side of the bridge when Larissa entered. Larissa looked around the room, amazed. 
There was gold everywhere. The walls were lined with it and adorned with sparkling precious gems. Huge golden cat statues with emerald eyes sat on both ends of a platform on which two huge sarcophagi rested. Larissa looked more closely. It wasn't two sarcophagi. It was one sarcophagus, but with room for two bodies within. The symbolic forms on the outside of the sarcophagus were joined at the hip. We found it. Hannah, we found it. The lost tomb of the forgotten conjoined pharaohs. Yes. We did. This is incredible. This proves they existed. Yes. And for the moment, we're the only ones in the world who know. We're the only people who have stepped foot in this room for thousands of years. I know. You don't seem excited. How are you not excited? Do you know how many people have been looking for this? I know. I know. It's just... It's not what I was looking for. Larissa could still remember the smell of the torches they'd carried that day. The way the light had danced as it reflected off the gold. It had been the most exciting day of her life, yet Hannah had not shared in her excitement. She'd been so restless in those days, so unsatisfied with everything. The elderly Larissa turned her head toward Hannah's casket and saw the woman across the way looking back toward her. The woman on the other side of the casket was Amber, studying Larissa's features and trying to imagine what they'd looked like decades ago. Was she Hannah's friend that had met them that time in Canada? Somewhere in the crowd to Amber's left a baby cried, pulling her deeper into the memory. The newborn Michael had been there with Hannah too, and began crying when the car stopped suddenly, jolting him out of his sleep. Amber stepped out of their dented rental as Hannah retrieved the baby from his car seat and bounced him on her hip to alleviate his crying. The other woman, her name had been Larissa, yes? Larissa was waiting by her parked motorbike. Behind her were rolling green hills covered in knee-high, thick green grass that swayed gently in the breeze like skinny Martians at a Grateful Dead concert. Martians? Well, they're green anyway. Hannah introduced her two friends to one another. Well, here's another country we've been to together, said Larissa. I've never been out of the U.S. before, Amber said. You haven't? Honey, you need to hit some place a little more exotic than Canada. I like Canada. Full of moose and bacon. Have you ever been to Canada, Brother Bentley? No, but I have eaten moose bacon. Do we still own Canada? Did we before? Of course. The Brimblebanks family ruled Canada? Not we, we, but the royal we. That's not what the royal we means. Oh? Is the royal we the Queen's laboratory? We'll talk about it later. What are we here to see, Hannah? There's a circus setting up in the field on the other side of that hill. I thought it would be fun to get here early and watch them set up. Oh, okay. Sounds fun. Is this... is this some kind of... I don't know, Circus of the Impossible? What do you mean? Like, instead of elephants and tigers, they have dragons and manticore or something? No. Is it some kind of hidden secret circus? No. Just a regular circus. I don't understand. Well, I've never seen a circus before. And Michael's never seen a circus. What about you, Amber? No. On TV I have, but not in real life. What about you, Larissa? Yes. Yes, I've seen a circus. And even if I hadn't ever seen a circus, I still wouldn't have just dropped everything else I have going on to ride up to Canada to see one. I'm sorry, Larissa. 
Amber was trying to be calm about meeting Larissa, but it wasn't easy. After all, this was the woman who had discovered the lost tomb of the forgotten conjoined pharaohs, all on her own. She was famous. She'd looked forward to meeting her, but now she seemed so mean. Are you excited to see the circus, Hannah? Yes. High wire acts, trapeze, trained lions, and the food is great. Have you ever seen a corn dog? They look like cattails. But, but back in the pyramid, we found something incredible. You found it, mostly. And you, you didn't even care. You found it, mostly. And you didn't even care. You didn't even care to the point that you gave me all the credit for finding the thing. Hannah found it? You didn't even care, and now you're excited about seeing a tightrope walker and some clowns. Did you say Hannah found the tomb? And who is this girl, anyway? Is she supposed to be some sort of new version of me? She's a friend, Larissa. People can have more than one. My god, Hannah. What was it like? What was it like down there? It was... Well... It was exciting. What are you talking about? You weren't excited at all. Well, I should have been. What happened to you, Hannah? The last time I saw you, you were heading back to campus. You were going to meet up with that hippie, Echo. Did you find what you were looking for? No. Look, enjoy your circus, okay? Some of us have better things to do. Larissa climbed back onto her motorcycle and prepared to put her helmet on. I wish we could still be friends, Larissa. So do I, Hannah. But there's something you're not telling me. Something important. Larissa. I don't even know you anymore. It's okay, Michael. It's okay. Well, she was not what I hoped for. Oh well. More cotton candy for us, I guess. Said Hannah, as she continued to soothe baby Michael. Amber had never seen Larissa again after that day, until this one when they were both carrying a wooden box with their mutual friend's corpse inside to its final resting place. In fact, after Larissa, she'd never again met anyone who had known Hannah before she did. The two of them had remained friends for many years. Hannah seemed very good about maintaining long-term friendships, and yet there was a point some time before Amber had met her that she seemed to break off contact with everyone she'd known before. Or they'd broken contact with her. A moot question, perhaps, now that she was gone. But the question which had been nesting in the back of Amber's mind had finally awoken, and it troubled her as she took solemn steps slowly through the cemetery. Now for a special musical treat. Here's an archive recording of little Timmy Tinderbox singing the Cole Porter classic, I've Got a Suitcase Full of Mollusks. I saw you sitting in the park, you really caught my eye. Somewhere I heard a singing lark, in my bag there are some octopi. You smile at me, oh what a dish, for you I'd really flip my lid. In my trunk there are some cuttlefish, assorted snails, and of course a squid. Oh I've got a suitcase full of mollusks, I act like everything is fine. I need you so badly, I love you so madly, but like the life inside my luggage, I don't have a spine. Suitcase full of mollusks, but I trade them 
I came and sat down by your side. You asked, what's squirming in your valise? I said, I'll show you what's inside. If you promise that you won't yell police. But first I got down on one knee and asked if you would be my wife. You said your heart would be more free if I didn't smell so of marine life. But I've got a suitcase full of mollusks. I act like everything is fine. I need you so badly. I love you so madly, but like the life inside my luggage, I don't have a spine, no. I've got a suitcase full of mollusks, but I trade them all for you. It's hard to change to say farewell. I've always loved my squishy clams, but for you, my dear, I'd swim through hell. I really love your shapely gams. And so we walked down to the shore. I dragged along my portmanteau, traded my gastropods for what I adore. To the cephalopods, I said adieu, but I've got a suitcase full of mollusks. I act like everything is fine. I need you so badly. I love you so madly. But like the life inside my luggage, I don't have a spine. But I've got a suitcase full of mollusks, and I'm trading them all for you. Thanks. That was stupid. And now here's the conclusion of Six Carriers in Search of a Sepulchre. Bringing up the rear on the right-hand side of the coffin was Danny Stanton. Danny had been a neighbor of Hannah's during the last few years of her life. He liked her fine, but he never exactly considered her close. He thought back to the last time he'd seen her. He'd been in his backyard pulling weeds when... Danny! Oh, Danny, would you be a dear and pop over here for a minute? That big wind last week blew over my bird bath, and I could use those strong arms of yours to prop it back up. Frankly, Danny suspected he'd only been asked to act as a pallbearer because they needed someone to help lift. Finally, across the way from Danny was James Fenton. Back when he had known Hannah well in their younger years, he had gone by the name of Echo. He couldn't remember why exactly. He was fairly certain it was mostly because he had thought it sounded cool. Up ahead, a priest was burning incense. The smell took him back to his days with Hannah, and to one memory in particular. It was, of course, the first thing he thought of whenever he thought of Hannah. A strange, hazy memory due to the variety of chemicals he'd been smoking and or ingesting. And yet, a memory he would certainly never lose. So, like, what are we doing here again, Hannah? Echo asked as he looked around the abandoned classroom. The university had erected a new building for the health and medicine department, and yet had not gotten around to demolishing this one. The basement room was a large open space that had been used by medical students to dissect cadavers. The cadavers and students were all gone now, and no one was holding any parties there this night, though evidence of recent celebrations were all around. It's a weird feeling revisiting campus so many years after we graduated. Feels like trespassing in your own home. I know. It's just... I knew this room 
would serve my purpose. Cigarette butts littered the floor. A large mirror was propped against one wall. Hannah walked about lighting the candles left on tables or the floor while Echo slowly studied the graffiti sprayed on the walls, mostly peace signs and people's names, but there was a lovely rendering of an exotic woman wearing an elaborate headdress with dark makeup framing her eyes. Echo! Snap out of it! Yeah, what? Okay, Hannah. I'm okay. What are you on tonight, Echo? Uh, a little marijuana. Uh, I, I took a couple of Blue Mondays, Purple Haze, a few cattails, a screaming head. Jesus, I, I'm fine, baby. I, I've pretty much landed already. I hope so. Land the gear down and everything. Hannah smiled her crooked smile at this. How about a hug? Okay. Hannah relaxed her shoulders and walked slowly toward Echo to embrace him. She rested her chin on his shoulder and spread her fingers wide on his back as she pulled him in close. Hannah gave good hugs. Her hair brushed against his nose as she pulled back out of the embrace. Echo leaned in toward her face. Echo, what are you... No, man, I told you, I don't feel that way. Sorry, Hannah. Guess I misread the room. It's fine, Echo. It's fine. So, how do we start? Sit on the floor. There. Hannah said as she crossed toward the door to turn off the light switch. The room was considerably dimmer, but with so many candles lit, everything was still quite visible. She unslugged the woven bag from across her shoulder and pulled out an old leather-brown book as she sat down cross-legged across from Echo. That's an old-looking book. I got it from the library. I didn't think they usually checked out books like that old. I didn't say I checked it out. I said I got it. From the library. I can dig it. What do I need to do? Just sit there, cross-legged, facing me. When I say, break this. Hannah handed Echo a small handheld mirror. Isn't that like bad luck? You don't really believe that kind of superstitious stuff, do you? Uh, remind me again what we're trying to do here? Hannah just chuckled slightly and smiled her crooked smile. You'll be fine. Hannah began reading from the book. It wasn't in English, and since Echo wasn't able to understand anything she said, his attention drifted. He looked into the mirror at his face. Faces are weird, Echo thought. But he thought everything was weird when he'd ingested enough chemicals. Echo liked weird, usually. Echo? Echo! James! Echo's attention snapped back into the room. There was multicolored smoke billowing up from all of the candles in the room now and swirling around the perimeter. A soft wind blew and gave Echo the strangest sensation that it was blowing in the opposite direction that the smoke was flowing. Now, James! Break it now! Echo raised his hand with the mirror in it and smashed it hard onto the floor next to him. Instantly, the wind and the smoke both stopped moving, though the smoke still hung in the air in a brightly colored ring above them. There was a strange humming sound in the room. Echo looked up at the graffiti of the woman in the headdress and saw her spray-painted eyes move to look toward the far wall. His gaze followed hers to the large mirror propped up there. It was glowing faint blue around the edges. 
It was reflecting the image of Hannah, standing now and walking toward it. Hannah smiled broadly, not her usual wry, lopsided smirk, but a full-faced, joyful grin. Hannah, what are you doing? She did not look back, but responded. It worked. We really found something. Echo watched as Hannah and Hannah's reflection grew closer and closer together. Hannah raised her right hand as her reflection raised her left, and they placed them together on the surface of the mirror. And then... Hannah pushed. The mirror's surface warped and buckled, and then, Echo thought, Hannah's reflection's hand pushed out of the mirror back toward Hannah's shoulder. It looked impossible. An image of Hannah's hand plunging deeper into the mirror, and an image of another hand emerging toward the room he was in. Hannah took another step forward, and as she passed halfway into the mirror, her reflection seemed to step halfway out. Echo felt the room start spinning again. Or was it him? It was getting dark. Were the candles still... Echo woke up to someone shaking him. Are you alright? Jimmy, are you okay? Echo came back to consciousness and saw Hannah squatting down over him. Are you okay, Jimmy? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. For God's sake, call me Echo. Ha ha. Okay, Echo. Hannah hugged him quickly and tightly. She was overjoyed about something. She brushed her cheek against his, then pulled back and kissed him. Suddenly, passionately. Echo did not know what had happened to change Hannah's mind about him, but Echo being Echo, he wasn't going to waste much time questioning his good fortune. The next day, Echo tried to remember what had happened in better detail, and failing to do so, decided it was time to cut it out with the whole drug thing. There was a note on his door from Hannah saying goodbye, that she had a world to see. And apparently, she did and had touched many people along the way. They were gathered all around now in dark colors and bowed heads. He spotted a younger man in the crowd that someone had told him was Hannah's son. She had never married, had she? He was sure he would have heard if she had. The boy looked confounded. James felt a surprisingly strong urge to go to him, try to make him feel better. Maybe, maybe he'd talk to him after. The pallbearers, having reached their final destination, slowly lowered the casket onto the device that would lower it the rest of the way. Stanley thought about what he would do after. There was no real need to rush to his chores. Maybe he would go for a walk somewhere, find a river, and skip some stones. It had been a long time since he'd done anything like that. Fred wished he'd had more time to get to know Hannah better, but he had Michael and Michael had many stories about his mother still to share. Larissa was frustrated. She missed her friend. She had missed her for a long time, and now would miss her forever. Amber looked around at the faces in the crowd, all serious, all respectful, but few looking truly sad. She herself did not feel overly upset. Hannah had lived a long and eventful life. She had seen the world, she had touched so many, and she had died peacefully. What, in truth, was there to be very sad about? She rubbed her fingertips along the top of the casket and said a brief thank you to her friend, 
to the world, to the universe. James, the man once known as Echo, stepped away from the casket. He and Fred both approached Michael at the same time. Fred spoke first. How are you holding up? I don't know. It's just... It's just surreal. We have to leave. The funeral? I mean, we can go now if you... No, I mean, there's a place we have to go. I have to see it. What are you talking about? A place my mother told me. Just say you'll come with me. Hi. Michael, is it? I'm an old friend of your mother's. James. She knew me when people called me Echo. She, uh... She was a special woman, your mother. Yeah. Yeah, I guess she was. He wanted to say more to Michael. Much more. He felt the need to tell him about that night, but there are certain kinds of stories one just doesn't tell someone about their mother. Instead, he just walked along with Fred as Michael approached the casket. Goodbye, Mom. Thanks for telling me. It had been over 40 years since a hallucinogen had entered James's body. Yet as he looked back toward the bright copper handle of the casket, he saw Michael. But he swore he saw it reflecting a woman standing right next to Michael, too. She smiled, a quick, lopsided smirk. He blinked. She was gone. How about that? The story took up the rest of the trip. How about that? Shucks, I didn't get to tell you fellas a thing about me. Yes. Fancy that. Well, have a nice time. You as well, sir. You know, Bendy, I still am at a bit of a loss as to what inspired you to want to tell that story today. Oh, I would have told any story to get that tourist to stop going on and on about himself. Would you like some hip with that suitcase, sir? Would you like a polished boot in your posterior? You're in a bit of a mood today, yes? I'll feel better when I know Nessie has a full tummy. Listening to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic story time presentation of There Are Two Sides to Every Mirror, or The Paul Bearer's Reflections, written by Brody H. Brocky and starring Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimble Banks and Justin Dinovic as Jameson Brimble Banks. This story was brought to life by the voice talents of Amanda Bridges Hannah, Jerry Crawford as Echo, Gianna Zampardo as Larissa, Dave Melcher as Michael, Aaron Medler as Ember, Zap Johnson as Fred. Monica Francisco as young Hannah, Thomas Balbac as young Stanley, and Patrick Johnson as George the American Tourist. This episode's commercial, The McFeely, was written by Justin Didovic and starred Justin Didovic and Brody H. Brocky. This episode's musical guest was Little Timmy Tinderbox with I've Got a Suitcase Full of Mollusks written by Brody H. Brocky. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, subscribe to us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us from the shadows as we go about our daily routine. Remove our half-eaten sandwiches from the rubbish and sleep with them under your pillow. Until next time, this is the VoxBot 5000 for the Brimblebanks brothers saying, Beep beep boop, I am a robot. That's robot talk.